Salt and Bone, a podcast about conjuring skills for the apocalypse. I'm Jenna. I'm a farmer, fermenter, forager, witch, and enthusiastic naturalist. I'm Kami, a supreme hyphenate artist, producer, organizer, etc., born in Scarborough into an Armenian family displaced from the Swana region. Welcome back. Yeah, we're uh, we're in the Apocalypse van and uh, with some of our previous Apocalypse van guests. We're here. just yeah, checking back in here with Brandon and Spencer, who did previously make it into the van, but now we just want to... Yeah, congrats, but don't get too comfortable because <laughs> you can always get kicked out of the van. And really today, we're just trying to, you know, freshen up on whether you're van worthy still or not. So we're here to talk about some of the expertise that you're bringing to the table. Great. Cool. Thank <laughs> you for keeping us in the van. Yeah. I mean, I feel like at this point, the van's getting low on gas, and we're really <laughs> going to need to figure out uh, where we're going to hunker down and what we're going to do about shelter. Yes. True. Shelter. We should get off the road soon, so yeah. Where are we going to shelter? That is the theme of today's show. Yeah. Best choice? Worst choice? I think it depends. Right? You're going to go to the mall, right, Brandon? Yeah, I'm definitely not going to go to the mall. Uh, like, even in waking normal life, if I'm not going to go to the mall. But, uh, I mean, that's going to be super dependent on the situation you're faced with, right? I okay, like, my number one dream, where I think we should go, is go take over, like, a summer camp or, like, a Boy Scout camp, mm -hmm. yeah. Girl Scout camp, whatever. Yeah. And then just, like, we have cabins. We have all the infrastructure. That's a really... A low tech. Low tech. Probably a lake nearby. Got mm -hmm. some canoes. Lots of first aid kits already. Yeah. yeah. That Let's makes lots it. of sense. And we have a lot of those nearby. We do. Locate your nearest summer camp. Yeah. <laughs> In the woods. Step oh, one. Are, are summer camps a thing still, though? Especially oh, well. Under we those organizations? The, we know the one here. The one by the beach. Oh, that one. That mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot down. of church camps here, that's so a, that's like another yeah, one yeah. you can keep a lookout for. Don't limit yourself to summer camps. You know? Yeah, Expand. you just take that cross and you turn it upside down. Yeah. And <laughs> then you just, you know. I feel like church camps are going to be oddly fortified in the apocalypse. Oh, 100%. <laughs> we just got to get there first then. <laughs> but if you didn't have any church camps or summer camps nearby, uh, what would you do? How would you, uh, yeah, build shelter? I mean, I think this is something that we, maybe in our, our first van exploration, we talked about a little bit, which was what is the apocalypse? What mm -hmm. kind of apocalypse are we uh, experiencing? Because that would make a huge difference, particularly where we live here in Canada. Here um, at Salt and Bone, we refuse to choose the apocalypse. We're just going to let it <laughs> unfold and unveil naturally and try to be prepared for all of them. All of them. <laughs> so you can Let's imagine. All the scenarios. Yeah, yeah, you can imagine your own apocalypse and what kind of shelter you're going to need. But yeah, we're just going to do a roundtable chat on some of the drawbacks of shelter and what you think it's going to look like and what you can make happen quick and what's going to take longer and things like that. So I think the quickest thing that you could do to find shelter for yourself is to find a house. If we are in the apocalypse, houses are already built. There generally are enough houses for every person in our places that we live. Some of them are unoccupied, particularly where we live right now. We have a lot of unoccupied houses uh, that are being Airbnb'd. 
uh, but that are second and third homes for people. So in most apocalypse scenarios, a house is still going to be your best bet for I agree shelter. with you. Yeah. Where it's like get a building that's still standing and use the Hunker structure down. that's there. Use it. Yeah. It's probably somewhat insulated. There's some sort of roof. Uh, it has maybe some basic functions of plumbing or electricity, or at least there's like the potential for those things. Uh, it was used for people, mm-hmm. depending on what scale of apocalypse we're in. Uh, mm-hmm. And unless you're somewhere that's really far away from a city or you're trying to be farther away from other people, um, you know, it's like the, it's obviously this is how we try to live uh, most of the time anyway. This is the most comfortable we can live is in our houses. Hmm. So if you... Stay home is what you're saying. I mean, I would would say stay home. Uh, If if that was an option, you're definitely going to be most comfortable and most secure in your own house. Then you have to think about, like, security. Is that an issue? Depending. I think we talked about that a bit, too, Mm -hmm. before we started to record. It was like, whatever you have, you are going to need to defend that because someone doesn't have that. You know what I mean? Or, like, how many people are in your shelter and how many can it hold and how many... Like, how much of the resources do you have type thing? So, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. At that point, I think it depends on how exposed you are. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, like, you could... I don't know if I could live under constant, you know, threat of having to protect my spot. Yeah. I think I'd rather go to the fucking woods so then I can sleep at night. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's the other thought. So, it's like, yeah, we can... There's houses around and things like that, but there is more people and more population. So there's always mm-hmm. that. I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think of the apocalypse. They're like, you get in the car and you go. You grab your go bag and you just go. Um, if you don't live somewhere where you want to stay. Um, but yeah, in the woods, that poses a variety of other uh, challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find shelter, but if you have to make shelter, that's pretty challenging. I think it might be interesting to think about like multiple stages of the apocalypse. Yeah. Maybe you have like the early stage apocalypse, which I think like we were saying earlier, like we are in the early stage of apocalypse now where our environment is increasingly unpredictable. Resources and supply chain like in this current moment are disrupted uh, and we potentially could encounter other disruptions that are even more drastic than the ones we are experiencing now. Uh, which make it difficult to get building materials and energy. And then you maybe we call like mid-stage apocalypse, which would be some sort of disaster. Like we saw early in the pandemic where like there was, you know, no food in the grocery stores for a very short period of time or, uh, you know, people are in like a very chaotic space. Um, Brandon, you were talking about like a solar flare or something like that. And then maybe like late stage apocalypse where like you don't want to be around other people at all. Mm -hmm. Because even in the early pandemic, you were still, it was like you could see someone at the grocery store. There were fights at grocery stores, but most people established some sort of community, which I think, mm-hmm. going back to what you're saying about the, the summer camp, um, and actually something that we did during the pandemic was form a community mm-hmm. to care for our children, Yeah, uh, which is like the most crucial thing. And to Kami's point as well, like, do you want to defend your house alone? Absolutely not. But if you had 10 families living in a house, then maybe you wouldn't have to defend your house alone. And that, mm-hmm. it seems like that's the, the thread through all of those pieces. Yeah. Here at Salt and Bone, we like to promote an apocalypse community <laughs> yeah. instead of going it alone necessarily, yeah. depending on the circumstance. But yeah. It's still hard, but I think it's like 
better hard. Well, we've, better hard than we've come through the last year and a half of year and a half of like shelter in place, your family in your house, right? Mm-hmm. Like it really drove home that whole like your community is very distant at times and like there's not a lot of intergenerational households and it's just like your nuclear family alone in a house. So it's kind of like expanding on that. Like, is that what it looks like? Do you group together like we did with childcare and the school pod? I'd love someone to, I'd love to like maybe read a little bit more fiction or watch more movies that are, because I feel like the whole like commune vibe is like actually a horror story for me. Like I, I, like when people like suggest communes, I'm like, like I stop trusting them. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah. I'm like, you don't know anything about life. I've known people who lived in communes. I have read a few books about various communes and it never ends well. No, no. Same as that like back to the land movement. Yes. And just kind of like. Yeah, just there's a lot of so it's uh, an in- interesting experiment where or thought that like um, yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, get your communities, but like you guys thrived in developing a close knit community amongst mm-hmm. a bunch of like minded individuals, which is all communism. A lot of the guards. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think I think the difference is is that in a lot of communes, etc., there's a leader, and there's somebody who's making too many decisions for what's going on mm-hmm. uh, instead of having like a uh, roundtable discussion about. Mm-hmm. A, an issue and finding like a communal way to deal with it yeah um, but that probably just lends itself back to choosing the right people to to be part of what you're doing yeah or like working through it i mean spence you've done a little bit of like learning around consensus work right you joined like yep. a cult at some point in california right? <laughs> what were they called again <laughs> i uh i spent time through my high school at a, a place um Called the Ojai Foundation. Yeah, not really a cult. So I retract that statement. But they feel culty. They, were, yeah. they definitely, yeah, they have a vibe. They were very interested in consensus uh, building as a model for uh, leadership, and so they did a lot of work. Consensus based decision making was yes. like their thing. Yeah, uh, and so they spent a lot of time developing structures that they would like teach uh, at businesses and schools and things to help people like do non hierarchical leadership. And after 10 years, they decided that it didn't actually oh, really wow. work. And <laughs> they wrote a paper or a book or something. And yeah. uh, they found that it was really good for the community at times. But, mm-hmm. but long term, it wasn't a good way to make decisions because uh, you're, you're too slow. And one person, consensus, I mean, their thing was like very hardcore consensus, is that it's just too slow. Nothing actually works like that. It sounds like municipal government. Nothing yeah. gets done. Yeah. Yeah. It takes forever. And you need, I mean, to take it even just back to the apocalypse thing, you, you need to be able to make decisions quickly. Super fast. Yeah, yeah. You can't be deciding, like, where you're going to build the house or where you're going to settle down so long that it's too late to find a place mm-hmm. or whatever. At that point, I feel like, because I see this in movies a lot, where there's, like, a breakdown in society and, like, whatever, and there's always, like, two leaders that emerge and one's always an asshole. There's that trope, you know, who's just like, no, I think we should be raping all the women and eating all the chips. Like, why should you, you know what I mean? And, um, no, blind, blindness, blindness, blind. There's anyways. Um, and, uh, where was I going with this? Yeah. So like, I feel like that there's that trope. Right. And I feel like at that point, the sensical thing to do is just go your separate ways. Mm. Like you don't actually have to stay together. You know, you don't have to do it one way or the other you have the option to just be like how about you just take a vote whoever wants to go and do your weird rapey thing you go and do that and then vice versa you know 
It's creating your community. Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> find your people. Yeah, yeah. Find your people. And then if you need to stop doing it that way, then you just you just stop. So, you know. We were talking to about uh, how dumb bunkers are. <laughs> like, how people think that... Uh, I'm sure we have some preppers that have found us and be like, yeah, Apocalypse Podcast. And we're like, no. No. <laughs> yes, but not your time. Now they're all unfollowing because you just shot down bunkers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're but listening yeah. from their bunkers right yeah. now. Right. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, so it's like everyone loves the bunker, especially in the prepper like community. They love bunkers, they want bunkers, but like we were just looking at the price of bunkers and it's like, do you have fifty grand for a bunker? That's the bunker alone. Is a bunker like... something sorry, just to be technical yeah. about it, do you live is it an underground situation or could it be an outdoor bunker? I guess it could be outdoor. I don't know. I Typically they're underground. You call that like a fortress or something mm. different. Because I'm like thinking about like the bunker is it's under. Yes. Yeah. I'm thinking about like hidden, the, the climate hidden. change, yeah. the climate change scientists who like 20 years ago, like already started like building their homes in preparation for climate disasters. Or all the millionaires who bought up all the land in the places. Yeah. Who what for? Less affected by climate change. Sure, right. And like you see in a lot of apocalypse fiction too, or like like even the cartoons like Kipo and stuff like that, or Sweet Tooth or whatever, it's just like there's so many bunkers. Like everyone's like, gonna Mm -hmm. live in a bunker. And that's the end of it. Like you can't go out. But it's like, how long is that gonna last? Like you're gonna lose your fucking mind. I can't I can't live without sunlight. Yeah, it's it's just like I cannot I mean you How long do people do the lockdown? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean the first lockdown was what, two weeks? And (laughs) Most people like didn't really like. There were still a lot of people out. Mm. I mean, most people couldn't fully lock down for two weeks. No, I think like if you really like, if you have to go in a bunker, you go in the fucking bunker. But like, that sounds like a goddamn nightmare. Absolutely, and I think I think the bunker is super specific situationally as well, where it's like there are only a very specific set of circumstances that require you to hole up in a bunker for any I feel time. like when we yeah. had the apocalypse van and there was a few people we interviewed that were like, I don't want any part of this. I just want to go die or I'm going to figure it out on my own. I feel like that's bunker people. Sure. They're like, yeah. They're like, fuck this. Yeah. My bunker. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, just because I'm curious personally, um, what are some things you could build houses with? I know like Armenians do it with sod. Yeah, or like in the prairies, where it's like, yes, yeah, you were like granted all the land, and it's like, well, there's no trees. What do you build the land with, or what do you build a dwelling with? It's like you cut sod bricks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you stack it. Yes. You yeah. did some like sandy. Yeah, things. earth bag building. Earth bag building. Which is yeah. great. So there's, I mean, there's natural building that you can do in almost every climate zone mm-hmm. uh, and kind of like climate area. Um, yeah, in this area, in the kind of like cold. Uh, I don't know what our like latitude longitude thing is, but um, it's consistent across Europe as well. Is like sod or uh, like earthen construction. Mm-hmm. So there's like straw bale in England that dates back to the, I don't know I don't know the dates here, but uh, like 1200s. And I mean, there's some houses that are still existing that have lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years with plaster and straw, which is a really awesome material. That's really accessible mm-hmm. you can grow it and harvest it by hand um Ooh, look at like, horsehair plaster yeah what is the plaster part plaster is lime lime and then yeah. you add a horsehair for the structural component yeah yeah where, where do you get lime from 
so lime is a material that is naturally occurring. It's limestone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I believe. we're lucky in this environment mm-hmm. in that we're actually, there's limestone everywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is why we have uh, cement uh, factories and quarries. And right. It's one of the exports of our local area. Mm-hmm. Um, like way, way back in the day before they had lime uh, in North America, before they had, I mean, maybe come this far north, uh, they used to use it from oyster shells. Uh, oh. They could make uh, plaster. Uh, mm. a mortar that was used with mm. oyster shells. That was like mostly around like the Rhode Island like main area. I mean, it's like one of the things you can date old houses by mm. back there. But yeah, in terms of uh, apocalypse, if you were legitimately in the apocalypse, say there was no electricity, you couldn't rebuild anything. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I think straw bale is interesting because it kind of straddles two of those things. The current apocalypse where we need carbon sequestering products, mm-hmm. um, which straw bale and timber to, to some degree are uh, carbon sequestering. So that they grow and they suck in carbon from the atmosphere as trees or as the grass. Uh, and then when we use them, the carbon is stored for the life of the building and it only gets released when that material decomposes. So we're essentially absorbing carbon from the atmosphere and holding it for the life of the building. Mm-hmm. Whereas other products like steel... Uh, or like polyurethane foam products for insulation, they off gas uh, and they are petroleum based products. So they mm. they have a really high global warming potential. So those are like, not only are they natural and easy to use, you could actually do those building, you could do them now. They also are actually helping stave off apocalypse. Hmm. Um, in terms of what would you build with, in the full-on level three apocalypse, whatever you could find. I <laughs> think that... Find. I, I think human like, bodies. <laughs> I feel like we're lucky in where yeah. we live that timber, like you said, is the most, yeah. is a super obvious mm-hmm. solution. We were having a conversation earlier that like straw bales, great idea, but you have to yeah. have a giant field yeah. of wheat or whatever that Absolutely. you protect and you mm-hmm. harvest and you maintain, whereas for at least the foreseeable future, we have readily available access to uh, timber and lumber um, yeah. that we can get from that timber um, all around. The here. log cabin is yeah. like for sure the simplest structure. I was reading something about like the early settlers in North America. Yeah. They didn't build log cabins for a super long time. And basically this is like the, they went through the entire timber frame construction that we do now, which was imported from England, essentially. And it's just really inefficient. Log cabins are way more efficient. You essentially just build a square and then you notch out little bits on the corners. I'm not describing this very well. And then you just keep stacking logs up and up. Yeah, like Lego-ish. Lincoln logs. I don't know what those are. I don't know yeah, that's an American thing. That's okay. an American thing. Get out of here. You're not fucking American. Yeah, instead of using trees and then putting them the other direction and nailing them and milling them, you just you can either just square them with an adze, yeah. which is a super old. I mean, it's really hard work, yeah, but yeah. you can do it with just a single. Yeah. literally, hands. yeah, one metal head of a tool. I mean, yeah. it was, it, there was a guy in the sixties and seventies, I think it was Dick Pranecki. Uh, there's a really interesting uh, thing you can watch. It's an old PBS or special, I think that. It's his him basically documenting him going to the middle of Alaska yes. with only the metal heads for the tools he needed mm-hmm. and crafting yes. an entire cabin that he lived in for his entire life. Yeah, and he documented all of it. It's like a, a multi kind of yeah. hour thing. It's very very interesting. But yeah, 
and it was one person like out places. in the middle of nowhere yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah and just pull cool. everything from around them to to create this structure they lived in for the rest of their life so like in armenia uh they use stone and it's the walls are so thick that that's mm. the insulation and mm. so with wood you're not dealing with insulation as much as like thermal resistance so wood is not very conductive so that's actually what's happening it's not like insulation like the fluffy stuff that we think of that slows down it's it's this other thing so super thick walls like you would find in the, with big trees in alaska so that would be like if you had to rebuild from the beginning stone, absolutely stone, yeah. stone dirt like muddy stone earth. is quite conductive so you need like in armenia it's like two foot thick stone walls and then they still you know they I mean, it's harder to work with yeah yeah, and now it's yeah mm. the stone that they use now is obviously manufactured to be perfectly square or square enough but they last but they last mm. yeah. yeah so we were talking a little bit about scarcity and mm-hmm. the scarcity economy we've covered a bit um i feel like we're going to cover that a lot over the many episodes to come but um we're in like a scarcity economy now we've seen a lot of it we're seeing a lot of it you and i were comparing spencer business uh points of view on that so like my business deals in glassware i just went to order plastic caps today for my bottles and they said there's a year backlog i'm getting charged so much more because the container ships cost something like a hundred thousand dollars to like bring across like it's insane so i'm getting i every pallet of glassware i buy uh, $250 extra is charged to that. It's already expensive because mm-hmm. the shipping is insane. Mm. So at a point, I'm not going to be able to use glass. And, and you have to switch to plastic? I would, well, I don't know. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I don't, I want to switch to plastic, but also that's going to come with, that comes across the ocean containers too. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like at some point for small business through the apocalypse, even big business, like, You'll be able to buy it more and larger amounts of it if you're big and rich and you mm-hmm. have the supply chain. But you're just going to have to stop like, <laughs> um, right. or switch to something entirely different. So for you, we were talking about the price of two by fours. What have you seen in the last year and a half, like the fluctuation? Yeah, I mean, through the pandemic, pre-pandemic, you know, it was like three dollars twenty cents for a two by four and in the middle of the lumber shortage which was caused by a lot of different factors but the pandemic was one huge one they were up at eleven dollars for a two by four bait so i mean if you're thinking a a lumber package for a house might be twenty thousand fifty thousand dollars uh for that's a big house but still the difference there is just massive like Mm -hmm. makes the project possible or not particularly I mean, if, you know, we're thinking about trying to build things for yourself and even the products that we do, which are pretty small scale, it was still a really huge impact. And I think that's, I mean, it, it changed the way that we use the resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would normally like maybe throw out a crooked two by four because you're not going to use it. And it's like, okay, we're building a wall. We need the wall to be super straight. If there's one that's super bent, we'll return it. But if it's like we have to return four things and the returns are, you know, we're going to get like $60 back. Is it worth sending a person in a car yeah. to the store to spend an hour and a half mm-hmm. doing that return? I pay them more than mm-hmm. what I'm going to make on the return in a normal circumstance. But as the supply chain started to break down and that material became super expensive, now at $11 each, if I have four two by fours, okay, that's like that's an hourly salary for someone. 
it's worth trying to make that work. Yeah. Particularly when you're building, I mean, we, you know, we build for other people. And so they, we're trying to make these things work within a certain budget. budget. Mm-hmm. And people don't have infinite money, obviously. And so it's, it's one of the things that I think with scarcity in general, as the world moves further towards catastrophe, apocalypse, disruption, it's like we have to figure out how to live more within our means because our means are going to, I mean, we're seeing this now with inflation as well, um, but our means are going to change. So if what we're used to is a 2,000 square foot house that's built a certain way for a certain price, it might mean that a 2,000 square foot house is going to cost a million dollars. And that, I mean, that, that might just be, that's the real cost of those materials given yeah. the fluctuations. So maybe a thousand square feet is enough. And maybe we have to build with things that don't add tons, to like, like straw bale, I mean, or, or any of these other mm-hmm. alternative building materials that are cheaper. Yeah. Cause potentially there's, there's going to be huge shifts in your, well, there already has been, but even going forward, like what you're able to get for people, customers. Absolutely. Like people can't get windows right now because the glass comes across the ocean. Who needs windows in yeah. Canada, right? No <laughs> yeah, so many things like that. Wow. I think the size thing is uh, a good thing to talk about as well, where people keep building bigger and bigger houses. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's cool when you just hook up to the propane that heats mm-hmm. your house. But if something happens to that system that heats that giant house how do you stay warm when you've got an open concept you know 2,000 3,000 square foot house compared to having something that's Mm -hmm. a little more confined or that you can section off Um, because that's like what they did for a long time in Canada is you know I grew up in a really old 1800s farmhouse and What we did once winter came is shut down upstairs. Yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. you, you had your own bedroom in the winter, in or in the summer, and then in the winter you closed up upstairs because you couldn't heat it. Yeah, it yeah. was like, uh, you, I, you know, you had your goldfish, and the top <laughs> of its bowl would freeze every night. Yeah. Yeah. What was your uh, goldfish in there? Uh, I mean, I didn't have a goldfish. It's more <gasps> a theoretical thing. My hamster water cuddles that the hamster. His water would freeze. <laughs> on occasion also he was super pissed that <clears throat> it was so cold yeah. because you know he's a hamster and he's not from canada <laughs> but if you've ever like anyone listening out there if you've ever heated with wood mm-hmm. strictly mm-hmm. like a wood stove or a wood well burner is a bit different but it's a lot like getting the wood in loading the wood stacking the wood if you have to chop the wood which you eventually will like that's a lot and then um it's a good out though and it keeps you fit you know good work that's like if you're able-bodied it's a workout like depending on the size of your space like you're at that all summer or all fall or all spring like the ground's frozen you're like cutting wood because that's when you can move it Mm -hmm. you don't want to be cutting wood in october november because you're fucked like (laughs) you need it and what we see a lot here with people with the novelty you know fireplaces where middle of february comes and they're they're actually like, oh, I'm paying way too much for my propane now. I really yeah. need some more fire. And people are looking for firewood, firewood in, in, in the scarcity kind yeah. of time yeah. of year. They're yeah. like, I got green ash. And it's, and it's, it's also not like, <laughs> no. I need logs that I will saw up. And, and it's like, I need cut, split, Dry. delivered yeah. to yeah. my house, yeah. ready to burn tomorrow. Uh, and that's what worries me in terms of disruption and apocalypse. Is like, there's a certain fragility to everything that we're building in terms of shelter now mm. in that and, and even as we try to go electric to stave off climate change because electric is the most green energy friendly 
service because it can run on solar, it can run on wind, it can run on all these renewable sources. But at the same time, if the climate shifts drastically and we have outages, you, there's no backup if everything runs on electricity. Well, so, you would need like you would need a solar or something, right? There's like so, so there's the local. Like if you are locally, you have your own solar power. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. which is I mean I think there's like multiple ways of looking at that. You know, I think we brought up Texas mm. at some point, you know, a lot of people in Texas have generators. And so it's like when the power went out in Texas, now the whole neighborhood smells like diesel fuel and mm. gas and sounds, I mean, there's generators running 24 seven, which is not a good way to live either. I mean, it's not, it's not sustainable for one, but it's also, I mean, you're, it's really bad for the air. So you're going to have to stay inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think like looking in terms of like how can your house have fail safes? I think it goes maybe back to the bunker thing too. The bunker is like this weird uh, paranoia around needing to be super safe by yourself mm-hmm. in like a hermetically sealed case when nothing can get into you. And what we found it seemed like is like you know we're good in a small community during a stressful time. We can kind of band together and help each other. Uh, which is really crucial. But then are there fail-safes with our own homes? Mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah, you can... We need to be able to... If it's close mm-hmm. off a room, if it's like, how do you heat this place? I think about our house, the same thing. We could heat this room. Yeah. Uh, but a whole wing of our house, wing, the bedrooms, are like somewhat disconnected. There's a hallway and they're... Could you, it would be difficult. Could you imagine the chaos, like, see something major happen and, like, there's no propane or there's no electricity in Canada in the winter? Like... People will die. Yeah, like, die. So many time, people would die. So many people would die. And just like, there's no heat. It's so fucking cool. I mean, mm-hmm. what does it take? It takes like three, four days for your house to equalize. I mean, this is like a, in terms of building, there's like how, how airtight your house is. Mm. So like your house will eventually just equalize the environment uh, unless it's sealed enough that the sun is heating through the windows. There's like enough solar gain through your windows, which is mm-hmm. the concept behind solar passive design is that you can insulate your house well enough and seal it to the air enough that the windows heat the entire house through solar gain. I want that. It's a very cool thing. So there are people who live in Montana uh, who, you know, their electricity bill is $7 a month for January, February. What? Or they make money because they have a couple solar panels. And... That's just because their windows are all south-facing. They mm-hmm. don't have a lot of north-facing windows. Their houses are super insulated and super airtight. And when the sun comes in, it heats up the house. And then it keeps that heat mm-hmm. um, through the nighttime. There's no... There's, they call it the, there's some cycle of nighttime to daytime, diurnal cycle or something. And it's equalized so that your house cools when enough. It cools to you know 65 or 67 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, in the nighttime, so you're comfortable, and then when the sun rises again, it warms up your house. But that's currently a very complicated process. I mean, it's like you have to build to a really high standard mm-hmm. now. And so what I would love to see, uh, and I keep going back to the straw thing, because there is like kind of a combination. It's not the like granola straw bale building with plaster like by yourself out in the woods. It's like high performance building so that you're building something that is passive house so that you don't necessarily need heating uh, mm. input all the time um, 
but they're still natural materials. But you need those windows that are really hard to get. You do. You need triple triple pane <laughs> windows. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's hard. I think we're you know. Could you just like stack windows? Like, can yeah. you make your own triple? Can you, this triple pane is just like three layers of glass. Can yeah. you just like steal windows? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you could. You absolutely could. I think if you if the conversation is like, what could you do without any outside help? You absolutely could. You could mm-hmm. put three of these windows. Uh, in a row and seal them. I think the thing that's always scary to me about, you know, like when I first started in construction out of architecture school, I thought like, oh, all these systems are so easy. Let's just put rainwater catchment there, no green roof. And like, you know, it'll be perfect. And then you realize that they are A, really hard to execute properly, B, really hard to maintain. They take so much maintenance. Uh, and now, see, they it's like they take so many resources that are not local, that are hard to come by. So yeah, you could make a triple pane window, but you'd need silicone. Sounds like you used to be a, a commune, <laughs> commune idealist, and then Absolutely. and then the world of reality set in. But one of the points I think that we keep coming back to is like, what's around us, and what are our building resources if we are not able to access mm-hmm. finished products or products from further away? So that's worth a think. So we have lots of wood. We do have lots of stone here. Yeah, people need a stone house. If I if I looked here, yeah, we and have we have mortar. very clay soil, for sure. Yeah, make some bricks maybe. Yeah, that'd be a whole operation. <laughs> you imagine? You can you could also apparently you can do sheep wool for insulation. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can do seaweed depending on where you are. Not here so much, but us insulation. We have sheep yeah. though. Sheep. Sheep wool is really great insulation. It's antimicrobial, which mm-hmm. is is actually really really good for insulation. Sheep is like way up there with like one of my top apocalypse animals too, but that's a whole other episode. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> work that's on that's it. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Sheep, don't get me started. Absolutely, <laughs> close. That's like, why do you need the North Face if you have a sheep? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're in the van. We're having a chat, you know, about shelter. We're thinking about where we're going. So I'd like to ask uh, the people in the van right now, what would your number one tool be <gasps> that you probably have with you or want with you in this van? as someone that's going to build shelter or just like be prepared for building? I mean, for me, I think because of where we are, uh, uh, and sharp axe. I was going to say axe too, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you've got the trees. Um, it doubles as like a hammering device. Yeah. Um, uh, also a weapon. Also a weapon. <laughs> also, you can use it, if it, again, if it's sharp, to uh, process games. It's just like a big fun others. knife. Yeah, I have like an absurd amount of axes just because of this this thing. Yeah, yeah, axe, axe. I, I choose axe. Hmm. Spencer's like tape measure. You're out of the van. I need my square. I have so many tools. <laughs> I have so many yeah. tools. What's your best like apocalypse to it? Yeah. Tool? What mean... about one of your like uh, little gadgets that have like many tools, many you know different tools in it? What is that like the? Uh, I mean, I think. To be to be honest, it would be like a pair of boots and gloves. Oh, it would yeah. be less tool oriented because I don't think that any tool. I mean, I think yeah, an axe would be great or a hammer of some kind. But how do you use that in the middle of winter if you don't have your hands and feet protected? Like it's I'm, like my body is going to be the thing. If we're building shelter, we're going to either be building a stone house or a log cabin. It's like I need. I mean, your your hands, I guess you could just they would become callous. That's a good answer. Your gear. best tool is you. 
because yeah. you have a lot of skills to do it. And like, yeah, you need to dig. Got to get out there. Got to. Think do no it. single tool is gonna like help you uh, all the way through any project that you're trying to do in terms of building shelter. I think having good gear that mm-hmm. fits you and is comfortable as a carpenter that is a hundred percent the make or break for my day. Mm. Is like if yeah. I'm working outside all day and my feet are wet or my hands are too cold to do the thing I need to do, it tanks my productivity mm. and it can just make it almost impossible to work. Sounds like another argument for sheep. Absolutely. That's right. You just wrap a sheep around their hands and feet, right? Tommy, tool? You know, I uh, don't build stuff, so I feel like I can't answer this question, but I'll be honest with you, what has been on my mind this whole time, or at least my instinctual first response was like like my uh, my dominatrix kit so I could keep all the boys in line, you know, I keep them, <laughs> <laughs> I keep, I keep them working, the working around the lab what's in the kit, <laughs> you know, I keep cute little like a sweet little crop, uh, latex outfit, you know, things like that. Handcuffs. Motivation or discipline. Going yeah, back to the, go. the part of the conversation that we had where it was like <laughs> the reason like those type of communes don't work where everybody has to agree is because sometimes you need to make quick decisions. They need, they need somebody in charge. <laughs> yeah. cult, cult I don't know leader. if I want to be the leader, but I'll, I'll keep people in line. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is lovely. Uh, you are allowed to continue staying in the van um, awesome. for the time being, but you know we'll check back in. <laughs> so you probably set the van up so that it's a decent shelter. Van life as well. In the van. We lived in a short bus, and uh, we yeah. mostly hated it. I would say I lived in a van before that too. You did. You lived in a van in, like the middle in the of winter. Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was also quite difficult. Oof. Yeah. yeah. Pro sheep wool insulation for the van life, though. There's some good good there. Cause it, the vans were going to really suck with the sheep in it, though. <laughs> it's just sheep. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram at Salt and Bone Podcast and write a review on your favorite listening platform. Let me know.